Welcome, our fellow lovers of love, and thank you for joining us on yet another excursion through the stream of consciousness down the river of tranquility to fill the lake of life with love. And good evening, our fellow lovers of love out there. Tonight we are talking about autism. But before we get to that, I want to say, you know, Lubby took a nice vacation last week, so that was a, a nice thing for you. Went and saw my oldest granddaughter. Yes, we went swimming twice a day. We went to the Halloween store park, donuts. It was nonstop fun. Well, so now you guys know why we weren't here last week, because, you know, I took the day off. <laughs> <laughs> That's essentially what happened. I took the day off. So, I mean, we could have done it. I was thinking about putting together questions and just doing a question session. Yeah. I could do that for an hour. Easy. Uh-huh. Yeah. But there was too much, like, work, so I took the weekend off. I figured you were getting a vacation, so I was going to take part of one. I got a day. Good for you. I got a day. I slept all day. Is essentially what happened. <laughs> you needed it. That's a 10-hour drive that you do, five there and five back yeah, in one day. It's like an 11 hour round trip because half half the trip was slow but it is much easier now that i can see again so that's nice well yeah that would be a bonus it helps makes it not so tiring so so anyway we're going to talk about <laughs> an interesting way to pop into an odd discussion of autism but you know autism is something that uh you know essentially it's a disorder well they call it a disorder it affects how people communicate and perceive the world. There's different types that the, you know, which from um, goes from Asperger's syndrome, which you can be fairly highly functioning, right? As you can learn how to function all the way to, you know, essentially where you're non-functional as a human being, you never leave the child stage of development. Yes. Maybe if you can even, you maybe not even be able to communicate at the, at the most extremes and so at least verbally communicate they do learn to communicate but at a most basic level and so you know we're going to talk about ways to be more mindful of how people interact with the world because it's a bigger it's a bigger issue if we've discussed before you know a third of the country is, is has some type of anxiety disorder and it has touched our families. Yeah, I, both yours and mine. Yeah, I had my one of my children was is Asperger syndrome is what they used to call it, and so yeah, we've had to deal with this. And so you know, I may have some disagreements with some of their uh, with some of their um, suggestions and whatnot, but that's actually okay. It's okay for people to have different perspectives and different experiences because there's one thing, not no autistic child is the same as another, just like no child is the same as another. So you're going to have to find what works for you and your child. And, you know, and with these tips and things that are offers are things to think about, things to consider if they can apply to your family or to your situation or take some of it and leave some of it, you know, how it's just information. And I think that's what we all want to be mindful of. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So where are we starting today, babe? Well, first we're going to talk about 
the five different types of that of autism. And the first one is level one, which is used to be called Asperger's syndrome. Right. Now they're described as high functioning. And the problem with these things is the it's such a wide manifestation that it's very difficult to put a single label on any of this stuff. So, but the people with uh, what they're calling level one here, they struggle with social cues. Often, you know, an intense interest in one or two areas, but completely, you know, want to ignore others. And some of these children can actually have an advanced vocabulary for the ages, which is why it can sneak up on people, right? Because it doesn't always manifest the way you think it does. Okay. So what's next? Uh, Rett syndrome. Apparently, it has been disqualified as part of autism in recent years. However, it primarily affects girls and begins to come evident about six months old. It uh, includes social communication and an impaired ability to use one's hands. Okay. Childhood disintegrative disorder. Um, That's essentially it's where a child only develops to a certain point. They develop relatively normally to that point, but then they hit a wall, essentially, and they develop or slows. Yes. Yeah. And so it's, it's a very disheartening thing because you thought you had a normal child and you weren't prepared for it you know it can be crushing so these are all the things we have to deal with as as parents we have to be prepared for them okay so the next one is canner syndrome yes also known as classic autistic disorder challenges communicating or understanding others Engaging in virtually no eye contact and a hypersensitive sensitivity to stimuli. And children who have been diagnosed with Kanner syndrome display a profound need for routine. And, you know, they have very little interest to the world around them, except for what, you know, their little world, essentially. So next one is pervasive developmental. God, I can speak. Pervasive developmental disorder, which is a form of autism that's generally less severe than others. But, you know, it's they still interpret the world differently and they have trouble interacting with social cues, that kind of thing. Right? So we've got next one. Oh. Treatment and development strategies. I wasn't really prepared to go into that. So well, there's your basic, at least what they're calling the basic signs. And it it, it goes such a wide variety and manifest they manifest themselves in such a uh, wide variety of ways. And that is very difficult for parents to know what to do. And it's a frustrating thing. Okay, so what do we got? What are we doing out next? Ten ways to support a friend with autism. All right. So how 
And one of these things is you have to know your friend and your friendship because not all autistic people are the same. So the first one was don't refer to a person with autism as autistic, even though there's a caveat to that. Some of them don't mind. They actually prefer it. They don't want to hide it. You know, it is what it is. And so, again, know your friend. Know where they are at their passive acceptance, that kind of thing. Yes. Understand that every person with autism is individual. Yeah, we've talked about it ad nauseum at this point. How it manifests differently in every single person. Yes. You can campaign for services with for, for people with autism. If that motivates you, then I encourage it. You know? Ensure that people with autism can make friends. Well, just be more friendly to people who are social outcasts. You know, they're nice enough, but they, you know, are often by themselves. This might be someone with something like Asperger's syndrome. It's, you know, engaging socially is exhausting, so they don't do it. Make it not so exhausting. Just saying, you know, just being friendly and saying hi and engaging in the conversation as long as they want to. Understanding that they can get overwhelmed and may need to end the conversation kind of abruptly and be okay with it. Okay, thanks. See you later. And next time you see him, treat him normally again. Hey, how you doing? They'll eventually open up to you and you'll be, and they'll tell you things about their lives that friends do. And you know, that's a wonderful gift when they do that. So it means they trust you. That is a wonderful So that's Okay. Make sure that people with autism understand what is being said. Um, they take things that are said literally. Yeah, they miss the social clues. If, if, if you're flirting with someone with autism, they'll likely miss it. Uh, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So, you know, it's fine. Just, just be clear with them if you think they have have to be clear and and simplify try not to talk in like allegories and, and those kind of things just be clear what you need what you want and you'll be surprised how thankful they are for it <laughs> <laughs> i don't have to decipher anything yeah i was yeah deciphering things is exhausting and so the less they have to decipher the happier they are and you know a lot of the times we're just making things more complicated just for fun Right, we're only, you know, just making life more interesting. So, deal with the, you know, as again, know your friends. Okay, what do you got? Maintain your routine. Yep, for those who need it, you know, help them with their routine. Don't interrupt their routine. You know, accept it. That's maybe the better way. Accept that they need that routine, and work with it as you would want them to work with you. Okay, number seven, be clear. When asking a question to someone with autism, it's important that you are clear and direct. Yeah, we already talked about that. That's the same thing as the other one above. Understand being what's said. Okay, educate others about autism. I don't know. I kind of disagree with this. It's not your job. to. It's like educating others about veganism or CrossFit or something. Just, you, you know, flies you know you catch more 
flies with honey and the vinegar type thing. It's if the conversation comes up, then clearly have it, but don't force it. Okay, what else we got? Understanding the understand the environment that is needed to thrive. Yeah. So you know whatever that it is, it might be lots of noise, maybe too irritating, may overwhelm them. Maybe it smells. Maybe it's too many people. Maybe they need to be in a back office somewhere rather than out front. So it's so in a workplace, or even when you go out just for a a day on the town. You know, maybe not. Maybe the club isn't the best place to take them. Maybe you want to go hiking instead. You know, that's that's. <laughs> You know, but, you know, every now and again, they may want to push themselves and go to the club. Just be prepared to leave at a moment's notice. That's all. I need to go. Okay. You know, be okay with that. But they can only take so much of that. You know, and being okay with that is important. So that's another thing to think about. Because, you know, having different experiences is probably important to someone who avoids them. So going to the club on occasion might not be such a bad idea. Just understand it's going to be overwhelming and they're only going to be able to take it for a couple hours or you know, not very long. Not very long, yeah. Yeah, and so be understand that going in so you're not disappointed when you're having a great time and I, he's got to go. Yeah. Have already have decided how you're going to deal with that situation, right? Because he might be perfectly fine going off by himself, going home, getting a cab, take, you know. He might be perfectly fine doing that while you stay and party. Or maybe you just want to go off and then go to someplace, you know, go watch a quiet movie or something. You know, who knows? Go play miniature golf at a quiet, you know, whatever, something nice, a little quiet, relaxing. Good ideas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then the next one, which is don't get annoyed, which we just kind of talked about <laughs> accidentally, is don't be annoyed that these things... Um, come up because especially if they're sharing this stuff with you, it means that they trust you uh, with those, with this part of them. And that's not something they don't build easily. All right. So what do we got now? Well, we have six strategies for the workplace. Ah, uh, yes. The workplace. So what do we've got? So I guess it starts, you know, imagine you've got the autistic people can be very talented in, in, like we said, in singular areas. I used to work for a, a nonprofit that had a store, and they hired um, at the store, you know, people locally. And a gentleman brought in his son, and he had Asperger syndrome, and they made him a cashier. And after two weeks, the manager called and said, he's fantastic. He does everything right. You just have to teach him right the first time. And then he's got it. Can you send me more? <laughs> Can you find me some more of these people? Well, just do what I asked them to do. Well, it's, it's again, that's, that's part of the routine. But as long as there's something small and focused, right? They can be perfectly, they're not, it's, they're not incompetent. They just interpret the world differently. 
are different speeds. They're, you know, they're not. And so we need to help. We need to help them just like we would help every, anybody else. The help is just a little different. We help other incompetent coworkers, but we're not going to help a perfectly competent coworker because they don't, you know, socially interact as well. But we'll we'll promote the person who can socially interact, but can't, you know, check out anybody with any with any regularity. All right. So what do we got? Race awareness. Employees, employers should have a good understanding of what autism is and what it looks like in the workplace. Okay. Um, get your executives on board. If they're not already on board, you're going to have a pretty tough time doing it. But if you, what they mean is make sure that the people above are on board with this kind of thing. Because if you're swimming against the tide, you're going to have a very difficult I'm with it. Another one is look for talent in the right places. You know, there's lots of places that you can search for these talented people, you know, who are talented in these very specific tasks or very specific areas of knowledge. And it's up to you to figure out how to use them appropriately. Work readiness programs are a great place. They have these they have people with aut with autism and they're training them too. So you get a, a, a someone who wants to work, yeah, ready for an interview and wants to make a good impression. Well, and you can also go to the universities. Universities know who their autistic students are. They know who's who's can who has the knowledge but just needs the right environment to thrive. And here's a little thing for, here's a little hint for your uh, business people out there. If you want a loyal employee, give an autistic person someplace where they're comfortable. They'll never leave. They won't want to. You don't want to take the risk. If you treat them right, they won't want to leave. They will take less money, do it happily because they're wanted, because they're welcome, because it's a comfortable place to be. You make you make work comfortable, and those will be your most loyal employees. And not because of anything else, because you're treating them well. You're treating them like the human being they want to be treated like. You're giving them the space to be themselves. That's more valuable than any amount of money they can get to them. Belonging, placement, acceptance, com comfort. That's, you know, that's what all of us want. But if you're autistic, that's difficult to find. And they know this. They're not dumb. They're autistic. So when they find it, they will hold on to it as long as it's valid. So you keep that valid and you have your most loyal employees. Okay. So the next one is review your interview process. Rethink your interview well, process. Well, it says make accommodations. Did I miss it? Wait a minute. No, you did it. <laughs> Rethink your interview process. Yes, you're right. My bad. No, that's all good. I usually the one who miss who gets off of <laughs> off of these things. So you know, rethink your interview process. You know, rethink about what is a good interview and what's not. 
is a schmoozer a, is it a good interview because someone schmoozes or is it a good interview because you know the person has knowledge that you can use and you have a welcoming environment that you can make them thrive and by them thriving you will succeed uh, next one is customize your your onboarding and just mainly just be aware especially like you said teach them right the first time <laughs> that's the key make sure that what you tell them is true because they will take it literally so teach them right to the first time and you'll you know you'll all be much happier because it's no. very hard for them to unlearn a process yeah when there's when there's an change. official process, when there's an official process, but everybody, but the real way of doing it is completely different. <laughs> you know, they're going to have difficulty with that. Pick one. You know, it's if the real process is better for some reason, because that's why everybody's using it for a reason, then maybe you should rethink your process. <laughs> you know, it's an opportunity as you go through this, rethinking about this from a different perspective. It's an opportunity to fix some things that probably should be fixed. Because if your processes or the theory isn't matching reality, well, it probably should. One of them needs to change, and you know, you got to figure out maybe the theory's wrong or the policy's wrong, or maybe people are just lazy and don't want to follow it for whatever reason. And there's no a lack of leadership to get them to do it. Either one, it's a problem solved. Okay, that's a whole different video. I'm not here giving leader. If you want my consultant, you know, leadership consulting in your deployment, give me a give me a holler. That's not what we're for here. <laughs> charge a hundred dollars an hour for that if it's easy all right plus expenses okay so <laughs> make accommodations but you should be making accommodations for all of your employees anyway for at least basic you know noise or light if possible so i'm not entirely but for autistic people make accommodations for them on the social side don't expect them to go to the the office parties or want to be at the office parties or, or go to after hours events type thing. It'll take them a while to get comfortable enough to want to do that. But if you treat them right, they will. And here's the thing. If you as an employer can treat an autistic person right, you'll be treating the rest of your employees correctly as well. And your business will thrive because happy employees make a good business. As long as the business plan is solid to begin with. It's a whole different I mean, you can be great to your employees, but if your fundamental business plan is terrible, it's not going to make a difference, right? <laughs> you know, if you're trying to sell wagon wheels to a mass market, you know, good luck with it. You can treat your employees as great as you want, but you're never going to have a mass market wagon wheel company anymore. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You might have a nice little niche company somewhere to make wagon wheels, you know, make a decent living, but it's never going to be a big thing. No. I wonder how many people actually are out there making wagon wheels. Anyway, <laughs> sometimes I, where my mind takes me. Anyway, so where are we at? <laughs> so if you want to help uh, organizations, you don't know how to help, or maybe what you have more than anything is is money. 
You know, maybe you don't have time, but you have some money in your pocket and autism is something through a personal reason or for because you just feel the grace of God, you know, go I. And so you just want to reach out and help. There are organizations that are um, that are there and look into all of these yourself. You know, we are not um, advocating for any of these organizations specifically. We're just giving you references, places to start to help you look. I want to be clear at that from the start. So you've got the Asperger Autism Network, um, Autism Highway. That was started by a mom with a son who was diagnosed with autism. Autism Navigator. It's web-based tools and courses developed to bridge the gap between science and community practice. Yeah. Autism Research mm -hmm. Institute. It focuses on the research, the causes of autism. The Autism Society, which has a lot of local affiliates, state affiliates, combinations. So, you know, you might have some local people you can get in touch with and who can help you navigate this difficult journey if you're, you know, raising a child. Or if you're an adult just finally realizing, hey, I have I've got Asperger's. What am I supposed to do? I've got something that they used to call Asperger's because that actually happens more often than not. People in their late twenties, early thirties, all of a sudden, kind of discover they've got you know high functioning autism, and they don't know what to do with that. So you know things like the Autism Society is places to go. Um, autism Speaks. There are there is issues around how much of your donations they actually give away. So again, check all of these for yourselves. Um, Disability Scoop is the next one. Um, Autism Speaks is a 100-day kit for newly diagnosed families of young children. Okay. And Disability Scoop is like a newsletter. Mm-hmm. Email. Okay. We've got My Autism Team, a free social network of parents and kids with autism. 30,000 parents registered on the site. So you can find someone who's uh, dealing with similar issues or someone who just kind of matches your, your worldview and helps you through. Again, you know, sometimes these things, just having a shoulder to cry on or a, or a sounding board as you're working through these things, someone who understands and isn't going to be judgmental. Can, can be a huge gift. And, you know, this is where you can find those kind of things. And that happens, um, believe it or not, more often than you know. Um, my oldest granddaughter is recently diagnosed with autism, and she's she loves to go out in public, and she loves doing things. She's on the go constantly. And my daughter comes across, her mom comes across people who are judgmental and make rude comments. You know, of she's just undisciplined. Believe it or not. In the face. And then and 
to the response. And she's like, well, she's autistic. Well, you really should take her in hand. You know, people think it's a discipline issue. Right. Yeah, even though a discipline with an autistic child would actually have the complete opposite effect that you would actually want. So that's the problem with, with you know, discipline. They're going to interpret the world improperly. That's part of the problem. <laughs> and so they're not going to respond the way you think they do. And so that's why you have to change your whole thought process to deal with a child with autism. Because they're literally not th processing the world properly. And so they're not, any, yeah. So people just don't understand. And, you know, it's not your job to make them. But it'd be nice if they tried. We got the organization. So let's just run through a couple of these real quick. Organization for Autism Research. And the links for uh, for this article where you can find all these is on our website. Late9love.us, which, by the way, I forgot to do. Again, I am getting terrible at the, oops, wrong one. At this. I went again. Oh, there we go. So you can find us at late9love.us and you can send us letters at love at late9love.us. Okay. So <laughs> I'm just the worst at this. All right. So Sesame Street sees and autism, see amazing in all children, and rights off special education law and advocacy if you should happen to need some uh, a place to start with legal issues. All right, so do we want to go through any more? We are good. I think we're good. I think we're good. Yeah, but so you can go, you can find us. It's the Reading Rockets Learning Young Readers site is registered the link. But you can find it at latenightlove.us. It's linked there already. Okay, so where are we going tonight, my love? We've got questions. Oh, questions, questions, questions. 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 I made it interesting as best I could my dive into Reddit. I had two weeks of material to choose from. And we're going to dive right in with relationships. Oh, relationships. How fun. Okay. Husband, 53 male and I, 53 female, have been married 33 years. Find out he's been texting another woman. Is this cheating? Well, what's he? Texting is he texting about work a lot, or are the you know is he actually involved in emotional in emotional infidelity? Because there's a difference. You know, maybe he's just found himself a friend who happens to be to be a woman, and they're just kind of talking about I don't know, sports, baseball, you know, whatever. They got some goofy common interest, just like you text your friend. I text a lot, and believe you me, a lot of guys, the only thing they talk about is work. Yeah, so, I mean, without knowing exactly what they're texting, I don't know. But could there is a line that is crossed where it becomes, if not necessarily cheating, it does kind of become emotional infidelity when you're starting to share your emotions with somebody else rather than your partner. You know, and it happens every now and again because of circumstances. But I mean, when you routinely do it, when you're starting to, you know, share things that you should share with your partner, but you're sharing with somebody else, that's emotional infidelity. And how serious that is, 
is open to interpretation, but it is something that needs to be dealt with. Because otherwise, it, it's if not the beginning of, of the end, it, it's a sign that there's serious problems. So, is he cheating? Don't know. It depends. But it may just be may just be a friend chatting about work or something. May just be someone to to be to to vent off of. You know, maybe you want to look in the mirror a little bit and see if, if you being unfriendly. Maybe the reason he's texting somebody else is because he doesn't feel able to talk to you. Maybe you've entered an overly critical phase. Maybe it's justified. But, you know, I can't judge other people's relationships from a quick question like that. <laughs> well, that's a lot of the information, and I think it's spot on. So, anyway, that's, you know, you're 50. Come on, behave like adults. Have a conversation. <laughs> You've been married 33 years. I am going to give him a caveat. At 33 years, it is possible you can just kind of get into a rut. These kind of things happen, but you do have, but you are going to have to kind of. It's a sign, maybe, that your relationship needs a new coat of paint, so to speak. You know, you don't necessarily need to remodel the house, but but you know, there's something you can use some touch-ups here and there. You know, okay. What do we got? My girlfriend is disgusted that she was my first. What do I do now? Now, the complete story of this is (laughs) too long. But to sum up, this little witch (laughs) told him, you're the best I ever had. And he, he said, you're my first. And she said, ew, that's gross. How is that gross? I have no idea. Okay, one, she probably shouldn't have been lying to him unless she had never really been experienced. The best I ever had, yeah, because the only person I had was nobody. And, (laughs) you know, I I don't know. Why is I don't get it. I don't know. There's something off about that response. Just something off about that response. Why are we so judgmental about numbers? Well, most people are are honored to be the person somebody's first. It's just all backwards from what I know with kudos and everything. Yeah. yeah. Wow, really? That was your first time out. Hey, you're a natural, right? <laughs> what the hell? I know. You can't be nice. That's what. Laying there naked and vulnerable, and you say, ooh? I just don't get, now, now if he had gone, well, well, yeah, I've had lots of practice. That would be an ooh. I can understand that. (laughs) I know. Then you get the the, the other extreme. But I'm not understanding her reaction, so I, I don't know. Maybe she, maybe she doesn't want that emotional love of connection. And that was her response, understanding that being somebody's first, you're always going to be remembered. And she doesn't want that responsibility. Psychologically speaking, that could be a reason for it. That has to be, that can, that can be the only reason. Or she's some kind of weird psychopath and run. 
you know, take the take the fun night and get the hell out. That might be the best I actually answer to that question. As as just you're not compatible, so move on. All right. Okay. My ex best friend, twenty five female, of ten years, wants me, twenty five female. To forgive her for pl- sleeping with my exes, plural, mind you. Should I? Well, when you talk about exes, were the exes when she slept with them? Yes. What do you care? Be an adult. The, you don't know. The dating pool may be small. They might, might not be living in New York City. They may be living in a town of 10,000. The, the realistic number of people to be interested in is relatively small it's gonna happen become an, be an adult now do you have to forgive her no do you want to sounds like it so otherwise you wouldn't be asking the question so the question is where the other the rex is you're no longer tied to somebody they're that's the whole point of being their ex you no longer care what they do so, why are you caring what they do? What I want to know is why did the friend feel compelled to tell her? It's probably a small town and you can't get away from it. Or small age. Small circle. Small circles. That's how these things work. Should you? I don't know. That's your more, let your, you know... Is sex worth a friendship? Is, is somebody else's sexual partner worth a, worth your friendship? Yeah, I don't know. Now, if they were not exes at the time, then that's a different question. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. My 31 female boyfriend, 34 male, claims that going on a cruise is cheating. How can I convince him I won't cheat? You can't and don't even bother trying. If he can't handle you going on a cruise, you know, then he's got his own issues. Probably, (laughs) if I were to take a guess, the one you couldn't be trusted, you going on a cruise is him being left alone at home alone. But you can't. You can't convince somebody that you won't. It's not possible. So don't try. Just go on the cruise. Let them deal with the consequences. Be what they may. Yep. You know, he'll either grow up or he won't. (laughs) And you'll find somebody who's more mature. That's the way life works. All right. So what do we got? Well, we're going to move on to parenting. Oh, yay. Parenting. Tweet. Okay. Okay. My daughter chose a new name for herself, and I'm upset about it. She is 14. What do I do? Okay. My youngest daughter decided to go by the name Crash at a very early age. She got it when she was in Brownie Girl Scouts, and... They would go on outings, and every time she would fall or bang into something and hurt herself. So they called her Crash. That's how she got her nickname. 
Now, I never called her crush, but I didn't care what other people called her, and I knew she'd outgrow it. It yeah. was, you know, they're young. They're they're flexing their independent muscles. It, you know, they're finding their own way. Just you don't have to call her that. So, what do you care? Yeah, just just call her by the name you want to call her by, and let her friends call her by whatever name her friends want to call her by. And yeah, she don't like it. Well. In four years, you can move out and be happy. That it's not going to end up being that big of a of a thing. Generally speaking, what they're trying to do is shock you into something you don't know what. They're teenagers, so your best response is okay, and just continue to do what you've always done. It's generally your best response. It's really not that big a deal, but yeah. she'll upgrow it. She really will. Or she won't, or she'll like it. And her, there's just lots of people who pick a name and, and go with their new name when they become adults and whatnot. But at 14, you don't get to choose your, your name. <laughs> you just don't. You can choose the nickname. You can choose the name your friends and whatnot goes by you, but you don't get to choose the name your family calls you. That's all it is. It's just the reality of it. And so, you know, when you're 18 and you're old enough and you want to go by a, a different name, you know, professionally, or great, you're allowed. Lots of I worked with this girl. Her family called her princess. So she came to work and she said, call me princess. And I said, no. <laughs> yeah, other people don't have to call you these things. It's it's just life at some point is going to catch up with her. And But... You know, maybe she just doesn't like her name. Now, some names, maybe her name's Bertha, and she and she wants to be known as uh, I don't know Hope. Yeah, mm -hmm. maybe there's some sense to it. Maybe there's some logic to it. Who knows? All right. Okay. Husband expects daughter Ford to be rational and mature above her age. How do I get him to be more realistic? Well, it depends how much more mature, rational, above her age. My thing is, is I always tried to teach my children about a year older than they were. Right around starting at four. You can't do that at one years old, friend. It's, <laughs> you know, but you try to teach, treat them a little bit older than you are so they have something to reach for. The second part of that is you have to understand that they're going to fail. You're giving them something to reach for. It means they're not going to be able to reach it. It means they're striving for it. It means they're trying to get there. It means they're always stretching. They're always trying to become better. But they're not always going to succeed. They're going to fail more often than they want. And you as a parent have to understand that. So it's perfectly fine to, to set you know, about, you know, high levels of expectation to push them. Great. But understand when you're doing that that you're also setting them up for failure and how they learn to deal with failure is going to be directly with how you deal with it. You're going to have to accept it because they're children, they're learning and learning comes with failure. It just does. So it's not necessarily that you would want to get him to accept that. Uh, you need you don't want him to change his expectations of what he wants her to be. 
you do want to check the expectations of what she can realistically achieve. It's good for him to want her to stretch, to be more mature, to be more logical. It's a good thing. It's perfectly fine. But you can't get upset when she can be. Well, I think that's the thing here. Your reaction to their failures sets them up for a lifetime. Yeah. Instead of, hey, good job trying. I appreciate the effort. But here's the thing. And, you know, they might won't get it the first time. They're, they're four and five. But you treat them like that. You treat them logically. And if you want them to be logical and rational, guess what, Sunshine? You have to be logical and rational. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's next? Six-year-old daughter continues to pee the bed. How can we help her? Oh, I have no good answers here. Well, you need to take her to a doctor. And I know there's organizations out there that can help you. You need to do an internet search, not go on Reddit. Well, actually, these days, Reddit's probably the internet search, but you're not. But don't ask the question. You ask the question in the search bar and find some help. I don't know, because there's so many. What actually ends up working for any one particular child? And who knows if it actually ends up working or if it's just the child eventually outgrows it. It's just, it's just so hard to know. I had a cousin who had this issue for a long time, and it was this big, huge ordeal. And it just, my only suggestion is to try to not turn it into a big, huge ordeal. Because then it becomes a thing upon a thing. And just, it, it's its own thing. Don't, you don't have to make it any bigger. Just try to deal with it. Like you said, talk to the doctor is probably your best, best place to start. Yes. You know? Because maybe there is, maybe there's an issue with, with, you know, maybe there's a bladder issue or something. Okay. So my children had their first sibling fights. I'm not sure what to do. Any tips? Well, generally speaking, you do nothing. Break it up, send them to neutral corners for a while and let them settle it peacefully later. They will. generally what you do trying to intervene it's like trying to you know it's like a chicken or the egg theory you're just gonna go down a freaking rabbit hole of stupid nonsense so, so let them deal with it you know for the most part now there's our exceptions but those exceptions are generally pretty obvious and so you deal with them you know, but sibling fights siblings They've been happening since Cain and Abel. Why are you going to think they're not going to happen now? My sister and I fought constantly. We were legendary in the family. We had so many toys taken away from us. Yeah, so you just... Because we couldn't share. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of thing. Okay, I couldn't share. Well, that's kind of the generally, you know, you take the thing they're fighting away with, and it kind of forces them to learn to work together at some point. You know, it only works for a while because they're siblings. They're going to fight. <laughs> they just are. You spend, you get a bunch of hormone people, kids with who are irrational, spending a lot of time around each other. Guess what? <laughs> it's going to happen. Don't worry so much about it. You know, if it gets out of control, then you start to worry about it. But, you know, send them to separate corners for a while until they can play nice. They'll play nice. They'll learn. 
Okay. Okay. Now we have work question. Alrighty. Can't tell customers employee doesn't work here anymore? The, no, that's actually all you can tell them. You can say, no, they're no longer here. You can't tell them why. You can't tell them anything else, but you can't tell them they're no longer there. Now, maybe there's a company policy about that. But from a legal standpoint, the only thing you, that's the only thing you actually can tell anybody. So, I don't know. So, all right, that's it. There's nothing big on that one. Yeah. No. Okay. Resigning after my mental health was made fun of. Can I sue? Probably, but is it worth it? Because now you've got this short thing. Your mental health was made fun of. Okay, that's a small, short-time event. You've resigned. You're going to move on, and now you're going to drag it out for years. All right? Maybe you get some money at the end. Okay. But now you're going to be miserable for the next how many years? So can you sue? Sure. Will you win? Maybe, maybe not, depending upon the exact circumstances. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to your mental health? Or are you better off just moving on and being happy? Because the money won't never make you happy, even if you get it. And there's a chance that you won't. And then you've gone through all that. You put yourself through all that kind of hell again, over and over for years for nothing. Maybe even cost you some money. Lawyer's fees is nothing else. Yes. So the question isn't, can you? The question is, should you? And part of that answer is, is it worth it? So that's the question we can't answer. Okay, so what's next? How do you deal with a person in the office who is not your boss but tries to act like it? You don't. You just keep doing your job. You don't worry so much about it. If you really gets irritating, you talk to your boss and tell your boss, this guy's really fucking annoying. Oh, pardon my French. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And you can deal with it that way. Let your boss deal with it, which whose actual job it is to deal with it. But the easiest way to, to deal with those people is to not give them what they're looking for, which is a response. It's, yeah, that's nice. And just keep doing your own thing. It's generally how I would deal with those things. But yeah, the other way is to, you know, you tell your boss, this guy's really annoying. Can you do something about him, please? <laughs> it's as simple as that. All right. Okay. Honestly, how do you deal with the smelly guy at work? You try not to. Not your job, dude. Well, and it may be a, a health thing. It, actually, I've actually found most of the time they're actually health things. They're not like someone doesn't know what a shower is. Most of the time it's there's a land condition or something. And what are you supposed to do? You try to be compassionate. On the rare occasion, it is an actual hygiene issue. Yeah, I mean, you deal with it like an adult, I suppose. But for the most part, it's usually a health issue. And what are you going to do? 
you're going to be a, you're going to man up, so to speak, and just kind of deal with it. We had. Well, well look at it this way. There's people who work in the sewer systems. Okay. I know. I, <laughs> I worked in an office once and we had a girl with a hygiene issue and someone actually gave her a basket of bath. Yeah, like that's gonna help. Can you believe that? Okay. Well, the worst thing is it's not as they think it's gonna help. Like no, it's just making you feel morally superior. It's not helping anything. <laughs> you know. So anyway, you leave those kind of things for HR, and if you can't, then you know you just don't. You just kind of deal with it. You leave it for HR. Yeah. You just kind of, I mean, if you're forced to work in a small, tight, confined space, it's more important than if you, you just cross paths in the in the warehouse every now and again. So there are there are different levels of how you deal with these things. Let's not be honest. If you're having to deal with it all day, every day, it's a different thing than if it's something you have to deal with every now and again on a, on a daily basis. So, all right. So what's next? Well, we're going to end with sex questions. Woohoo. Help. How do I fake my virginity on my wedding night? <laughs> um, you don't. Don't, dude. You're going to start out your married life with a lie? I'm assuming this is a woman writing this question. Yes. Yeah. And you don't. I mean, have you already been lying? If you've already been lying, it's time to cross that bridge and have the discussion. Because setting up, one, they probably don't care as much as you think they do. Unless you're talking about a really religious person. They, they probably don't care as much as you're worried about. There's two ways to deal with it. You can deal with it beforehand, or you could deal with it at the end and hope they're just as ignorant as you are and they don't notice. Because they don't know what the hell, you know? Dirty little hint, most men don't go down there and look afterwards to see if there's... That's not what we do. It's not what we do. So you could get away with it perfectly fine without having to do a damn thing. We don't know. But is that really how you want to start your marriage life off? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. But you're not going to have to fake anything, is my guess. Just nothing to fake about, you know except pretend you're not as good at it as you might be. <laughs> On your wedding night? God, what a drag. What? You can't come in on your wedding night. Shouldn't you be able to participate with utter abandon? Well, sure, but if you're actually good at sex and you've convinced your other partner that you've never had it before, they're going to notice. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's sad. Well, yes, but the sad part was that she set this up beforehand with not being honest. Or she has just, it's never come up and she's afraid to bring it up. And so there's assumptions going on, which is another entirely possible thing. It's not that they're not, that's true. It's not that they're necessarily being dishonest. It just simply hasn't come up and they've decided they didn't want to have sex before marriage, which they're both cool with. But, and, and, you know, they're all kind of thinking, and they just haven't crossed that bridge. Just cross the bridge. It's, it's, if he loves you, it'll be fine. 
And if he doesn't, uh, if he's not fine with it, then it's good to know now. It's good to know now, yeah. So just deal with this honestly. Start your relationship off on the right foot. And, and yeah, let your wedding night be, you know, a reckless abandon rather than you having to pretend you're not good at it. Okay. <laughs> so, cause that's the only way you can really fake virginity, right? As a woman is just pretend you have no clue what you're doing. And, you know, if, if you only had sex one time, you still don't know what you're doing. So you don't have to do very much, but you know, you never know. You might be good at it at some part of it or something. All right, never mind. It's time to move on before I get us into trouble. No, I tell them you watch porn and you took notes. They're not going to believe that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no one's believing that. Okay. My friend kissed me. We've been friends for three years, and I'm not sure how to move forward. Oh, well, that's interesting. The fact that they're not sure how to move forward is the interesting part. Well, because if it was an ultimate rejection, they'd know how to move forward. The only reason they don't know how to move forward is because there's some level of of interest there. Maybe they've never thought of it that way, but it wasn't an immediate rejection. Otherwise, they would have just had an immediate rejection. Yes. They want to move forward. Yeah. So, so... Well, you could, you know, say, hey, you want to go out on a date? Or or you could go, hey, you know, that kiss the other day was interesting. Um, what what are your thoughts about, you know, this is something you would more, want to explore further or is that just kind of an accidental thing? But again, the discussion is just have the honest discussion about what you're feeling. You know what? Instead of asking Reddit, hey, ask your friend. Hey, you kissed me, and we've been friends for a long time. I'm not sure how we move forward after this, but I, it wasn't an immediate rejection. I'm just kind of confused. Can we have a discussion about where our relationship wants to go? I know it sounds easy. It's easy to say sitting here in front of a microphone and talking to you. But <laughs> yeah, you know what you did? You sent me a song. Yeah, so... I wasn't. Actually, it was two songs. It was Little Mermaid by the Howlers and You and I by LL Cool J. Yeah, but see, I wasn't the professional talker. See, it's like I said, it's easy for me to sit here and say now, <laughs> talking to you, as I've had time to work through it, you know, sitting here talking for three minutes, four minutes while I'm working my way through. Okay, what's the actual proper response? Half the time I'm vamping through the first couple of minutes of the response <laughs> until I come up with the, answer, <laughs> the real one. I should probably read these questions beforehand, but it's more fun for me to do it this way. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I really do. All right. So, yeah, just have the conversation with your with your friend. You know, it's the only way it's not going to be weird. So just have the conversation. It's going to be weird, but that's the fastest way through the weirdness. <clears throat> okay. So what's next? How do I stop hating porn? Well, there's nothing wrong with disliking porn. Not okay. being interested in it. Now, a little backstory. Okay. This is a woman. Her boyfriend looks at porn. Mm -hmm. She knows rationally that this is not a big deal. Uh -huh. But emotionally, she despises it. Then it's, here's the thing. It's perfectly fine to not like it. Perfectly fine to, to, to you know, 
the whole thing, the moral issues, whatever it, whatever it is your hang-up is on, it's perfectly acceptable to have reaction. Just hate is never a good emotion. You just like it. You wish you wouldn't want to engage in it. You find it. All this other thing. Those are emotions. You know, and there's some truth to some of these things, maybe, to some of your objections overall, societal objections. You know, maybe there's some truth there. Maybe there's not. Who knows? So the reaction to it is fine. It's you, what you do want to stop is the hate. Because hate leads to weird thoughts. And she actually knows this. Otherwise, she wouldn't be asking the question this way. She's not asking to accept it. She's just asking to stop hating it. And how do you stop hating it? By asking the question. There's no magic trick. You just have to work your way through it. And you work your way through it by acknowledging that you that you don't like it. Acknowledge, accept, honor all the reasons you don't. Honor all the reasons why you strongly dislike it. But you're going to have to find some way to lose the hate. And you do that just by continually telling yourself that the hate is irrational. All the other stuff because it's an emotion. It's acceptable. It happens. You're on, and you can honor it. But hate is irrational. It serves a purpose in society. Whether it's useful or not is, is an open question, but it does serve a purpose. Millions upon millions of people enjoy the services. You can't discount that. Doesn't mean you have to like it. <laughs> yeah. But she'll get there. She's asking the right question. And the only way forward is to ask the question and work through your logically over and over and over again until you're the part of you, just the hate part of you, just gets tired and surrenders. You're never going to like it. <laughs> you're probably never even going to accept it, but you can't stop hating it. And so don't look for anything other than stop the hating it part. Accept all the rest. And you're only fighting a little thing rather than a big thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I rambled on that one, but I got to the answer eventually. Okay. What's this last one? Last one. How could I make my boyfriend feel okay after he orgasms quickly? Now... The story behind this is it, it only happens like once a year. Well, it's just sometimes it just is. The, the, you know, you know, the only way well, you can make some machines for well, crying out loud. You want to know, don't deal with it at all. That's the thing, don't worry about it. The only way to make someone feel okay is to have it be okay. If it's okay, then it's okay. So the only reason that they feel it's not okay is that for some reason they feel it's not okay. I, I know I'm going to be saying okay a lot in this, but, <laughs> but, but, it's honestly, it's one of those things where you, any attempt to make him feel okay about it actually just highlights it, that it's somehow not okay. And essentially, it's one of those things. It's like telling someone to not think of an elephant. Well, the first thing they're going to think of is an elephant. 
So I went in for an MRI one time and he goes, don't think of a zebra. <laughs> yeah, and so the thing you think about is zebras the whole time, right? Yeah, I wasn't an <laughs> asshole. His, his thing was not get you to think of something else. He was getting you. Well, instead of I was panicking. Yeah, so instead of he was getting you to think of a zebra rather than the clicking or the tube or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it's, a, it's a neat little trick. <laughs> but because, of course, the, you're going to think of it. So when you say, oh, well, that's okay, what you're actually saying is it's not okay, but I accept you anyway. But you're actually saying it's not okay. So just do what you would normally do after sex. Don't do anything different. It's just shorter this time. It's fine. <laughs> you know? Sometimes it's a sprint. Sometimes it's a marathon. There's nothing wrong with either one. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's it for us tonight. You can find us at Late Night Love, not US. You can send us letters at the, oh, excuse me. Good Lord. My apologies. At love at late night love us. And from me and lovey, good night. And please remember to love everybody. Oh, wait. Good night. Good night.